You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. What I'd love to do is I'd love to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds and our souls uh, for the reading of God's Word that's going to come to us today from Exodus chapter 6. That's Exodus chapter 6. For those of you who are new to your Bibles, that's going to be the second book in your Bible. Uh, So Exodus chapter 6, verses 14, all the way through 30. So my friends, my family in Christ, hear the word of the Lord. These are the heads of their father's houses. The son of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons, the sons of Simeon, uh, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, and Jacob, Zoar, and Shaul. The son of Canaanite woman, these are the clans of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi according uh, to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. And the sons of Gershon, Libni and Shimei, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari are Malai and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Now Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 130, 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphon, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elishabeb, the daughter of Amminadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Akana, and, Ab- and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korathites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Petuel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? My friends and my family in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. 
Let's thank him through prayer. Father in heaven, we praise you. We love you. And we love you because you first loved us. In this is is love that you gave your son for us. You came to us first before we ever came to you. And now you even speak to us first before we ever speak to you. And we thank you for speaking by your word uh, through your, your prophet Moses. Thank you for preserving these words. Thank you for preserving this story so that we might hear it, we might remember it, and we might be transformed by it, and that we might know you more deeply so that we can make you known to the people around us. Father, transform us here today by your word alone. It's in Christ's name, the word of God made flesh that I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, again, for those of you who don't know me or might just be uh, logging on to our online streaming right now, my name is Rob, and I'm one of the elders here at Renaissance Church, and you are are catching us right in the sixth chapter of our Exodus series, Made Known to Be Known. Now, I know some of you got giddy with excitement when you heard me reading a genealogy this morning, right? I mean, for some of y'all, The the people who love genealogies are the same people who love to learn the elvish language from Lord of the Rings, (laughs) present company included. Uh, But for others, you're like, why all these baguettes? Why all these names? What are they here for? Well, they're here for the same reason that a curiosity reverberates within the halls of your soul when you wonder, Where did I come from? Who formed me into me? What does my past, even my family's past, have to say about my future? You see, I I think if we're humble and we're honest enough, we can say that most of us don't come from a perfect pipeline of the past. But we have pipelines that are riddled with rust, and broken joints, because we, we are broken people who have broken pasts. And so what do we do with our brokenness? Well, this story is here to show us that our broken past doesn't have to direct nor define our future. What this section from the book of Exodus will show us is that our brokenness, not just from our past, but from our familial past, isn't the end of our story, but just merely part of our story. See, Moses will hop in a DeLorean right now and take us on a four-generation tour of his family. And what we'll observe is this. God uses broken people to carry out his whole plan of redemption to broken people. Let me say that again. God uses broken people, me and you, to carry out his whole plan to redeem broken people. This has always been his plan. And so we're going to see this in two parallel paths this morning. First point, we're going to learn about some broken people. And the second point, we're going to learn about God's beautiful plan. So y'all ready to dive in? Amen. 
And for those of you who are joining online, I got some folks with me here in this living room. So in case I'm not looking at the screen directly at you, I'm just interacting with uh, my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ here. So let's dive in. Now, I want to know, did you guys notice the selective nature of this genealogy? Most, most genealogies, if you, if you know this or not, are selective in nature. Even Matthew's genealogy from Matthew chapter 1 is selective. Let's, let's look at that for a moment. Matthew 1, verse 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we jump down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now Matthew Seems like he loves the number 14. And it's not because it was an exact 14 generations between each party line, from Abraham to David, from David even to the Babylonian captivity. No, David's doing this on purpose. purpose. He's being selective, and he's being fully honest. Because he's trying to get the people to wake up, to wake up to the reality that the Christ comes from David's line. He wanted easily memorable lists so they can be certain that Jesus was from David's line. Now, why 14? Well, David's name in the Hebraic language adds up to 14. Jesus is fulfilling a promise. The Messiah, the king, would come from David. 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. Even Matthew's selective. And Moses just as selective. Now, how many sons did Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, have? How many? Twelve. Twelve, that's right. Well, how many are listed in this genealogy? Just three. Just three. Ten of the twelve verses in the genealogy from verse 14 to 25 are focusing on one family, the tribe of Levi. Both are Moses and Aaron's ancestors. Now, how many of y'all ever done something like Ancestry.com just to find out like where, you, where you've come from. My, my brother did this uh, a, a little while ago. And what we found out is all the places our families sailed from. However, what it did not include was my ancestors' stories. I don't know their successes or their failures. I don't know their joys nor their struggles. But in Moses' selection of this list, he includes peculiar names because we know most of their stories. I mean, for one, when you look at verse 14 and verse 25, who bookends this list? Levi and Phineas, men who struggled with outrage, violence, and anger. I mean, think about Levi. His violent response to his sister's rapist, and then he went and killed every male in his rapist's uh, village. Then Phineas, who's at the end of this list, he murders a man who's a man and a woman who were having sex in sacred precincts. Then, if you go down to verse 21, you have Moses' first cousin, Korah. This guy gets swallowed up by the earth because he orchestrated a revolt against Moses in number 16. Then two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they die for offering unauthorized sacrifices and fire before the Lord. 
And then verse 20, you got Moses and Aaron's parents. Their mom is also their dad's aunt. Did you notice that? Did you guys catch that? Moses's dad married his dad's sister, his aunt. Now, this is something that Moses would know about because at the time of him writing this account, he would also have been writing the book of Leviticus where it commands that marrying your father's sister is both forbidden, forbidden and punishable. And so if these genealogies are selective, why not include faithful people? Why not only talk about the ones who did the right things? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you two things. First, it shows us that this is history. That the author is not trying to hide anything. That we can trust this. This is true. Because if this was all neat and tidy, we might have some speculations. But second, it shows us that no one is faithful. It shows that everyone is broken, including Moses and Aaron. And that everyone falls short. Moses would agree with David several generations later, who writes in Psalm 14, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. No one does good. Now, some of the, you kids who are watching, I'm wondering, do you, do you know the movie Mary Poppins? Do you guys know that movie? Not the new one, but, but the old one. Now, there's another movie that came out recently called Saving Mr. Banks. Now, where Walt Disney, um, who is the director of the, of the movie, is talking with the writer of the story, P.L. Travers. They're, they're talking about the story of Mary Poppins, and Walt Disney is convinced that this new nanny, Mary Poppins, who's practically perfect in every way, that she's come to save the children. To which Mrs. Travers replies, you think Mary Poppins has come to save the children? Oh dear. I had a similar experience while reading the Bible about 12 years ago. Oh, you think the Bible is about all these heroes that you're meant to emulate? Oh dear. The Bible isn't about how God uses strong, able, and courageous men and women to redeem others. The Bible is about a holy and perfect God who has come to redeem the irredeemable, <laughs> who has come to make whole those who are broken, including Moses and Aaron, including me, including you. See, God's beautiful plan is to redeem broken people and then send those same broken people to tell others that God wants to redeem their brokenness. This has always been God's beautiful plan. It's been his beautiful plan in the Old Testament, and it's his beautiful plan in the New Testament when he sent Christ to redeem us, not by our works, but by his work on the cross. And by our faith, by grace alone, we are redeemed. But, but I'm getting ahead of myself right now because we still got to read about God's beautiful plan in this genealogy. So we saw these broken people, but let's, let's take on that other parallel path, the beautiful plan. 
Now, we've read this and we've seen this quoted at least a half a dozen times so far during the sermon series. But I wonder if you remember how many generations it has been since God made his promise to Abraham. Let's look at it again. This is from Genesis 15, verse 14 and 16. And the Lord God says, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with the great possessions. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. Do you know what generation Moses and Aaron find themselves in? It's the fourth generation. Do you see God's beautiful plan? He used broken people, murderers, human traffickers, siblings with rivalries, incest, deceivers, and more. He used all these broken people to carry out his whole beautiful plan of redemption. And just in case there was confusion about who God was sending in to bring out God's people, uh, Moses does a recapitulation here to remind everybody. Look with me, uh, starting in verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. And on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Now remember, those who first heard this story are standing on the banks of the Jordan. They're ready to enter the promised land. And what's in the promised land? Mighty men, people who look like giants who can overtake them. And they needed to wake up and remember that this Aaron and Moses, that God used to bring them out of slavery, is the same Aaron and Moses that came from broken family trees. Sinful families, unfaithful families. What these people need to be reminded of as the story was being passed down, they received the story after they slaughtered the lamb. They received the story after the angel of death passed over them. They received the story after God led them through the dry land with waters on each side. This, they got the story after they wandered in the wilderness for the brokenness and stiff-neckedness of their parents. And it's the same God who used Moses and Aaron's broken past to bring them out of slavery is now the same God who used their broken past to now bring them into the land that he promised them. This is the story of our God. He uses broken, ordinary people to do extraordinary things to bring wholeness and redemption to all creation. Paul Tripp, in his, in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, writes this, Embedded in the larger story of redemption is a principle we must not miss. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God even wants to use aspects of your story of brokenness to bring the hope of Christ's redemption into other people's lives? Because you've experienced that redemption. 
You experience God redeeming you from all of your damaged past that either has been done to you or you did. This is God's whole plan. I mean, just just think about how you came to know Christ. And we were, we're about to have baptism, uh, baptisms right after the sermon where we hear stories of salvation, stories of redemption. Let me ask you, who shared Christ with you? Was it a perfect person? Was it a fully righteous person? No, it was a broken person who wore Christ's righteousness. It was a sinful person who wore Christ's holiness. Do we believe that we are people who are in need of change by the grace of Jesus that we get to now point others to the redeeming and transforming grace of Jesus? Yes, that they need, but we know that we always need. Do we believe that? I mean, most of us, me included, I I still believe that I'm called to be or I have to be the hero or the redeemer. You see, on, on one side of the coin, there are people like the Moses we met back in chapter two. Remember that Moses? When he stepped into a problem that nobody asked him to step into and God did not ask him to step into. And what did he do? He murdered an Egyptian. This is like the man who pushes faster and harder to try to bring about change that no one asked him to bring about and that God is not asking him to bring about. This is like the person who won't stop barking her personal views and opinions until you change and are redeemed by her personal views and values. Why do they do this? It's because they think that they are the redeemer and you're the only person in the conversation who needs to be redeemed. So that's one side of the coin. The other side are people who sound like Moses in this story. In verses 29 to 30, how will Pharaoh listen to me? I've screwed up. I have a past. I have a speech impediment. Last time I tried, it went horrible. Last time I tried, nobody listened. Last time I tried, I said the right things, but I said them in the wrong order at the wrong time. Anybody been there before? Last time I tried, I was overcome by my personal shame because the thing that my brother or sister is struggling with is the same thing I'm struggling with, so what do I have to add to the conversation? And last time I tried, I was just reminded of my brokenness. How can a broken person help another broken person? Here's the reality. Brokenness is the prerequisite for being used by the Redeemer who wants to heal you of your brokenness. See, both of these views on either side of the same coin are distorted practical theologies. On the surface, one looks really courageous and the other one looks extremely humble. But both are full of pride and full of fear. One says, if I don't step in, who will? There's the pride. If I don't step in, who will? That's fear. The other one says, well, if I do step in, there's pride again, it won't end well. And there's the fear. Both bank on their ability, not God's ability. 
Both bank on the amount of their own strength, not the strength that comes from God. One says, I am capable and I am available. The other one says, I'm not capable and I'm not available. And both are forgetting the God who is always available and always capable about bringing about redemption regardless of who he uses. See, we, me and you, we completely overlook the fact of the one who is asking us to step in and be used by him. Is he asking us to do significant things that might be too much for us? Yes, all the time, every day. But it's not too much for him. Remember who's inviting us into this work of redemption. It's the redeemer who uses broken instruments to go restore broken instruments. You see, what's the remedy to Moses' story and to our story? What's the remedy to our condition? It's God's complete power that melts our pride. And it's God's sovereign promises that steals our fears. This is God's beautiful plan that walks in parallel step with broken people. It's what this genealogy shows us. But I wonder if you notice something else about this genealogy. It includes women. No genealogy in the book of Genesis included women. Not in Ezra, not in Nehemiah, not in 1st and 2nd Samuel. You gotta wonder why. It's because one of these women are a Judahite. One of the great ancestors of Jesus. And if you take a closer look at Matthew's genealogy that we looked at before, do you know who he includes? Women. Women from the line of Judah that leads to the line of David that leads to the Christ. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. I mean, it's remarkable that any women are included in the list at all. It was not the custom to mention women. And most of them were not Hebrews. <laughs> Their mention shows that the line that leads to Jesus is not ethnically pure, but ethnically, to the world's standards, broken. But to God's standards, it's beautifully multi-ethnic. And all four women, they have broken sexual pasts as either sinners or being sinned against. Ruth offered herself sexually to Boaz before they were married. Rahab was a prostitute, and Bathsheba slept with David while still being married to another man. What does this show us? That Jesus, our Savior, did not come from a long line of ethnically nor ethically pure ancestors, but from men and women who were broken. Don't you see? Jesus came from the same people he came for. Jesus came from people who needed to be redeemed, and he's come for people who need to be redeemed. And this was the only time in human history that God has chosen to use someone who is whole and holy, not broken, not damaged, to redeem broken people so that we could be made whole again. Do you remember what Jesus Christ said to his disciples, his broken, messed up, ragamuffin disciples? who even one of them was about to betray him. Remember what he said on the night he was betrayed at that Passover meal? This bread 
is my body broken for you. Jesus was giving a symbol of what needed to happen to secure our redemption so that we who are broken might be made whole. And he who is whole and holy has become broken for us. You see, on the cross of Christ, Jesus was not only broken for us, but he took of all of our brokenness on himself. He took the brokenness of our sin. He took the brokenness of our shame and our fear and our pride. And it's because Jesus is truly, eternally God. We we can't miss this. That this perfect, spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world, that because he's truly God, he's existed eternally in the past, the present, and the future. Time has no hold on him. The Son of God is able to take away all human sins, past, present, and future. And because he is truly human, he now comes as our perfect, spotless man where he becomes our story on the cross. He gets our story of brokenness so that we get his story credited to us by faith, which is a story of holiness and wholeness. And Christ, listen to me, he just doesn't take part of your past. He takes all of it. He just doesn't take part of your sin. He takes all of it. Christ takes all of your brokenness. He takes all of your shame, all of your fear, all of your pride, so that you wouldn't experience the greatest brokenness we can ever experience, separation from our God in hell for all eternity. And he's done this so that we can be whole and and holy. See, when you put your faith in Christ Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, we're able to recognize the only part that we did play in the story of our redemption on the cross. What part did we play? We certainly weren't the heroes. But the part that we played in our salvation was the sin and brokenness that necessitated our redemption. And when we see that that has been nailed to the cross in full, we see that our past no longer defines us, but Jesus defines us. We see that our future, our fears about the future don't define us, but Jesus' future glory defines us. And we see that even right now, whatever you're sitting in right now, it does not define you. Jesus defines you. His story defines you. And when you know this, and you're able to admit that you're not called to be the Redeemer. You're called to point others to the Redeemer. When you know this, you remember that you're not called to be strong in your own strength. We're called to admit that we're weak so that we can experience the power and the grace of God working in us and through this. See, when we know this, we'll have humble confidence to say, I'm available. I'm available to step out into this broken world and not succumbing to my thoughts of smallness, to my thoughts of the magnitude of the problems out there. But I get to remember that who I am is someone who has been lit by the redeeming grace of God and who God is, a God of awesome power and awesome grace who wants to work through me. This is where we get to step out and declare to the world My story is not defined by my work. 
My story is defined by Jesus' work, and it's continually being defined by the Spirit's work who is actively at work in me to make me more like Jesus, that we're confident that the work that Jesus began with us on the day of our salvation, he'll complete it at the day of his coming. And until then, we're gonna keep declaring to others that we are broken people in need of a savior, to other broken people who are in need of a savior. This is God's plan to use broken people to carry out his whole plan of redemption to other broken people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that Jesus is...